Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to support this work and to make this mission of truth and delivering God's word around the world via podcast. That's how you make it possible. That's how you support it. Scriptureandprophecy.com. Click on the Donate and Support tab at the top. Today we are looking at the Gospel according to Luke chapter 16. And we have here the parable of the unjust steward, which is kind of confusing to many people, but I think we're going to, we're going to use some commentary from Matthew Henry and some common sense, and we're going to come to, I think, a reasonable conclusion about what it's about. Then we have Jesus reproving the hypocrisy and the covetousness of the Pharisees in verses 13 through 18. And then we have uh, verses 19 through 31, dealing with the rich man and Lazarus the servant, which gives us a picture of what happens at the time of death. And we're going to go into the apocryphal book of 2 Esdras um, to confirm what Jesus is talking about and what Jesus is showing us in that parable. And so I think you're going to be blessed by this morning's uh, reading and Bible study. I just want to thank all of you for the great privilege that it is to do this work. And I'm just so grateful to have done this uh, with the little extra time I have in my life. Like many of you, I work a full-time job. I, you know, I have family, I have responsibilities, and it's very difficult at times to make time to do these studies and then to record them and to edit them and to publish them and you know because of your prayers and because of God's great mercy I've been able to do this for like six or seven years now since 2014 three to four times a week and uh, I just ask that you continue to pray that God would continue to sustain me and that I'm able to do this and uh one last point. I also just want to apologize. I know there's a lot of you that email me and want things of me and uh, you send me messages and all these things. And the truth is, is most of the time I'm just, I just cannot keep up with it. I'm unable to respond, uh, unable to meet everybody's needs. It's just the way it is. And I apologize for that. But I pray that the work that's being done here would continue to bless you. And I'm at least grateful that I'm able to do that much for the kingdom of God. All right, let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 16. Let's start with the first 12 verses here with the parable of the unjust steward. See if we can make some sense of this. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved to do that when I am put out of the stewardship. They may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and he said unto his first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred and measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. 
And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commanded the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust in much. Therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Who will commit to your trust in true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Okay. Let's stop here. What we have here is we have a parable. And usually the parables of Jesus are dealing with the kingdom of God. Now, in this parable, we have a Lord and a servant. And the servant was in charge of accounts for his Lord, um, but he had wasted it. You know, he kind of wasted the resources and the goods. And now the Lord is saying, hey, this is all the things that's owed to me. You need to get these accounts settled. And the, and the servant's thinking within himself, Oh man, if uh, if the Lord puts me out and I'm no longer a steward, I'm going to have to beg, I'm going to have to do something shameful. This is not looking good. I need to go make friends with these people that owe my Lord money. And so he comes up with this shrewd plan. So he goes out to settle the accounts. And he says, and he's trying to find favor with these guys. And he says, how much do you owe my Lord? You know, the first one owes 100 measures. And he says, okay, write down 50 and so forth. So in other words, he's cutting these bills in half or so and making good friends with them and then the then his master finds out about it and says you have done wisely and here is the interesting comment for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light okay so what's being said here let me start by what's not being said here this is not a parable that's glorifying or uh, pointing you towards being unjust or um, or being a liar or you know sneaky or anything like that there's a bigger message here and I think Matthew Henry's commentary explains it best so let's just listen to his commentary real quick I think uh, I think it's just a really great way to break it down and he articulates it better than I'm able to do so Here's what Matthew Henry says. He says, Whatever we have, the property of it is God's. And we only have the use of it according to the direction of our great Lord and for his honor. This steward wasted his Lord's goods and we're all liable to the same charge. We have not made due improvement of what God has entrusted with us. Trusted us. The steward cannot deny it. He must make up his accounts and be gone. This, is, this may teach us that death will come and deprive us of the opportunities we now have. The steward will make friends of his lord's debtors and tenants by striking off considerable parts of their debt to his lord. The lord, to, the lord referred to in this parable commended not the fraud, but the policy of the steward. In that respect alone, it is noticed. Worldly men in the choice of their object are foolish but in their activities and perseverance they are often wiser than believers 
Did you catch that part? So even though worldly men are fools, right? And the Bible talks about that. There is certain activities and certain ways that they persevere where they are wiser than uh, believers. And that's what it's saying. He says the children of this world in their generation wiser than the children of light. I think what Jesus is saying here is when it comes to certain aspects of life, you know, like business and money and things like that, a lot of times these worldly people are more wise than the children of light. And that's the, and that's the way com, and that's the way Matthew Henry's interpreting it too. Let me finish his commentary. The unjust steward is not set before us as an example in cheating his master or to justify any dishonesty, but to point out that the careful ways of the worldly men. It would be well of the children of light to learn wisdom from the men of the world and as earnestly pursue their better object. The true riches signify spiritual blessing, and if a man spends it upon himself or hoards up what God has entrusted to him as to outward things, that evidence can he have that he is an heir what evidence can he have that he is an heir of God through Christ? The riches of this world are deceitful and uncertain. Let us be convinced that those are let us be convinced that those are truly that those are truly rich and very rich who are rich in faith and rich toward God, rich in Christ, in the promises. Let us then lay up our treasures in heaven and expect our portion from thence. So there's just a lot of lessons here in this parable, uh, which can seem very, very confusing uh, because it almost looks like it's glorifying or, uh, you know, dishonesty, but that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is about obtaining wisdom, understanding how things work, and being responsible also with what God has given you. All right, we could beat that up forever. Let's uh, continue on here with the rest of our study because I want to spend a little bit more time on the last parable here. All right, let's finish here. Let's go 13 through 18, and then we'll get to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Okay, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus is making that point. That you cannot serve both God and money. Right? You can't have two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. Those are the only options. And then those who try to ride that line in between... That's where that lukewarm Christian is. And Jesus talks about that in the book of Revelation, that he just he doesn't like lukewarmness. He's going to spew that out of his mouth also. He only wants hot, right? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. 
and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Jesus is kind of making this point that, you know, everything was focused on the law and the prophets up until John the Baptist, and now it's about the preaching of the kingdom of God, but that doesn't mean that any tittle, one jot, has been removed from the law. But the focus now, the preaching, is the kingdom of God. And of course, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we have two aspects. And I really should just try to write a book about this because there's just so much information, so much study that's needed, so I can't really go into a long rant about it right now. But there's two senses of the kingdom of God right now. There's the sense that king, the kingdom of God is present in here. Um, you know, you hear John the Baptist talking about that. Jesus talks about it. All the disciples talk about it. This idea that the kingdom of God is within us, the children of God, and it's here on earth. And we are ambassadors of that kingdom. And we are to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay? But there's also this sense in which we are waiting on the finality, the finality of that kingdom. The, you know, the final version, the consummation of that kingdom, which we're all groaning for right now and longing for right now. But I digress. Let's get to this last parable here. Although it could be argued that it's not even a parable at all because Jesus doesn't call it a parable. It could be a real story that Jesus just happens to know of. Either way, the lessons that we glean from it are the same. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And it was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, that they, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Alright, so let's look at all that we are learning from this. We have the rich man, we have the Lazarus. You know, the rich man, he fared great, right? He had all that he, he was dressed in purple, which at that time was very, very expensive. 
Okay, and then you hit, so while he's living the good life, he has a servant Lazarus who's in such a bad way, or there's a he's a beggar. He's in such a bad way that the dogs are licking his sores, and he's just longing to be fed from the crumbs from that rich man's table. Okay, that's his situation. Both of them die. The angels carry off Lazarus, who's been tormented his whole life, into the bosom of Abraham, where he'll be comforted for all eternity. Meanwhile, the rich man dies, and he goes into Hades or hell. There's a great debate about what we're talking about there. I'm not going to get into that part, but either way, he goes to a place of torment. Okay? What's interesting is, in this story, the rich man can see past the gulf that Lazarus, the beggar, is being comforted. And then he has, this is, see, here's the thing. The mindset is the mindset. Even in torment, this rich guy still sees Lazarus as like a servant of his. Because what does he say? He says, Abraham, will you please send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and, and uh, you know, cool my tongue? Abraham says, no. If you remember... All your life you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things. Now he's comforted and you were tormented. And besides, so he goes, and besides all this, in other words, even if that weren't the case, there is between us a great gulf. No one from our side can pass to you. No one from your side can pass to us. And then the rich man says, I pray you, therefore, that you would send him, speaking of Lazarus, still looking at Lazarus like he's a servant. Hasn't learned a thing, apparently. To my father's house, because I have brothers there. Please tell them what has happened. And Abraham says, no. They have, the, they have Moses and the prophets, right? They have those writings. They have it all. He says, no, no, no. But if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll listen. And in this story, he says, no. Even if someone comes back from the dead, they will not be persuaded. Which we know to be true, right? Because Jesus himself rose from the dead, uh, was seen by over 500 people for a period of time. It's well documented. Um, there's enough evidence that if Jesus was on trial for raising, being rose from the dead, he would be without question uh, convicted of it. So, yet, people deny it. And they, do, they deny it today and they denied it back then. The reason why I want to dig out the book of Second Estrus is just to bring confirmation that this is truly how it is. So we don't look at these apocryphal books as uh, canon or, or treat them in the same manner, but what's interesting is often enough they just reaffirm what's being told to us by the Bible. So Second Estrus is told how people will be tormented. Okay, what they're they'll be tormented in six ways or seven ways. Well, I'm going to look at it here in just a second, and it confirms that one of the ways that they're tormented is that they are able to see the blessing that the others are getting, right? Which is what's happening right here, and this is all before everything is cast into the final lake of fire. Okay, because one of the torments is knowing that that day is coming. You see, when we die. Our spirit goes to basically paradise, and non-believers go to Hades, 
And it's still like a holding point until the final resurrection where some are raised to eternal life with an eternal new body and some are risen to destruction. And Revelation talks about how all of that Hades and, and all that is cast into the lake of fire where, where the permanent judgment is. So one of the ways that they're tormented is knowing that that day's coming. And one of the other ways that they're tormented is they can see the goodness that they could have received had they just walked in faith. Had they just been kind to the poor. Which is what we see happening in this story here. So let me get to Second Esdras. To find this, you go to, let's see here, what chapter is this? Looks like chapter 7 in the book of Second Esdras. And we get to verse 78. Here's what it said. Now, concerning death, the teaching is, When the decisive decree has gone forth from the Most High that a man shall die, first thing I'm noting right there is that th that your life is in the hands of God. Your death is decided, and this is biblical, your death is already predetermined by God. He will decide when that's going to happen. As the Spirit leaves the body to return again to Him who gave it, first of all, it adores the glory of the Most High. If it is one of those who have scorned and have not kept the way of the Most High, and who have despised his law, and who have hated those who fear God, such spirits shall not enter into habitations, but shall immediately wander about in torments, ever grieving and sad in seven ways. The first way, because they have scorned the law of the Most High. The second way, because they cannot now make good repentance that they may live. So the first two ways are, they realize that they've scorned the law of the Most High and those who love God. And now they know, the second way they're tormented is that they know there's, not, there's nothing that can be done. There's zero hope. That's where real despair is when there's absolutely no glimmer of hope. Verse 83, the third way, they shall see the reward laid up for those who have trusted the covenants of the Most High. So just like what we're seeing here in this with, La with the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man is seeing Lazarus being comforted. He's in the bosom of Abraham. That's one of the torments. The fourth way, they shall consider the torment laid up for themselves in the last day. So the fourth day is they know that the torments that they're suffering now don't even compare with the eternal ones that are coming. The fifth way, they shall see how the habitation of others are guarded by angels in profound quiet. In other words, there's just nothing but peace. The sixth way, they shall see how some of them will pass over into torments. The seventh way, which is worse than all the ways that have been mentioned, because they shall utterly waste away in confusion, and be confused with shame, and shall wither with fear at seeing the glory of the Most High before them they, whom they have sinned while they were alive, and before whom they are to be judged in the last times. Let me go ahead and, uh, since we're on the topic, I'll just go ahead and read the seven ways which we are blessed if we, uh, if we have trusted in God. Now this is the order of those who have kept the ways of the Most High, when they shall be separated from their mortal body. During the time that they lived in it, 
They laboriously serve the Most High and withstood danger every hour that they may keep the law of the lawgiver perfectly. Therefore, this is the teaching concerning them. First of all, they shall see with great joy the glory of him who receives them, for they shall have rest in seven orders. The first order, because they have striven with great effort to overcome the evil thought which was formed with them, that it might not lead them astray from life into death. So the first way is just knowing that we did it. You know, even though we had all these evil desires, all these evil thoughts within us, we made war with them every day. We strove with them and overcame them. And of course, we overcome that by the blood of the Lamb who strengthens us, right? The second, because they see the perplexity in which the souls of the ungodly wonder and the punishment that awaits them. They're so grateful for their salvation, especially being able to see what's happening to those who have rejected God. The third order, they see the witness which he who formed them bears concerning them, that while they were alive they kept the law which was given them in trust. The fourth, they understand the rest which they now enjoy, being gathered into their chambers and guarded by angels in profound quiet and the glory which awaits them in the last days. So they're being guarded by angels. They've got nothing but peace. And they know that it's only going to get better, right, in the last day. The fifth order, they rejoice that they have now escaped what is corruptible. They shall inherit what is to come. And besides, they see the straits of toil from which they have been delivered and the spacious liberty in which they are to receive and enjoy immortality. The sixth order. When it is shown to them how their face is to shine like the sun and how they are to be made like the light of the stars, being incorruptible from then on. The seventh, which is greater than all have been mentioned, because they shall rejoice with boldness and shall be confident without confusion and shall be glad without fear, for they have hastened to behold the face of him whom they served in life, from whom they are to receive their reward, then glorified. Well, that is our study for this morning, and I just pray that it's been a great blessing and encouragement to all of you. I know that it was a great blessing to me, and I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to to do this work. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Peace and grace be with all of you, and until next time, God bless.